Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. And this is an important thing to, 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 to really start with, and it's a good question for anyone to ask. Do you actually want to change? Do you actually want to change something? Or are you just subscribing to the idea that it's a good idea? And the, the place to look is in your actions. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Change sometimes is hard, maybe you've noticed. What if how you relate to shame is part of what makes change difficult? You can't turn toward a weakness and address it if you can't bear the shame that comes up when you try. But shame is already a deeply personal issue, maybe the deepest. So how can it be responsibly and appropriately addressed in a workplace? Keep listening to find out more. Today's podcast is part two of this four-part series on the critical subject of shame in the workplace. And I'm very excited to announce the release of my ebook, Cut the Bullshit, Solve Your Problems by Getting Real. It's full of direct practical advice related to getting employees engaged, hiring right the first time, how to create a culture of radical responsibility, and a lot more. For a limited time, I'm giving this ebook away for nothing. So reach into your wallet right now, pull out some of that nothing, and go to clearandopen.com slash CTB to download it. That's CTB standing for Cut the Bullshit, a free ebook to reward and support my loyal listeners. Thanks so much for being one. Now let's dive into the podcast. One of my martial arts teachers, Peter Ralston, once said, a weakness is only a weakness if you hide it. In martial arts, when, when you're fighting with someone or sparring with someone, you, you don't look for weaknesses. You look for weaknesses they don't know about. You see, a weakness someone knows about and operates with isn't really a vulnerability. You know, they can't kick above the knee. They won't rely on that. It doesn't matter to them. But if every time you move to the right, they go back to the left corner and, and they don't realize they do that, now you own them. Because you can make them do exactly what you want. The weakness is just something that, that they, because they don't know about it, it's off their radar. So this is where that excuse list comes from. All of those excuses are about trying to avoid turning toward the shame. So from a personal context, from a, you know, the personal world as distinct from the work world, which is kind of an arbitrary distinction, but there's some truth to it. There are as many modalities as you can think of to address this. There's religion, spirituality, therapy, and all sorts of stuff you can use to address that shame. But what about the work world? What is a professional's responsibility related to how they relate to shame in the work world? In the personal world, 
there's like, let's, let's look at therapy, for example, uh, an individual who is in therapy. And of course there's hundreds of different kinds in that kind of setting. A therapist would say, well, shame takes time to heal. The client has to be ready and willing and have a trusting relationship with the therapist to be able to explore those kinds of corners of themselves. And the person will change when they're ready. That would be a very common therapeutic treatment of shame. And so let's say the, uh, the client is having difficulty in their marriage because of how shame is expressing. It's causing them to um, not be willing to look at inadequacies, inadequacies in themselves or faults that they have such that they're not having transparent, open relationships with their partner and it's breaking down communication lines. And so they can have kind of a sense of that. I'm having a hard time working with my shame. Can you help me? And the, the most therapists would create sort of a course of, of investigation, exploration to that. And there would be no timeline. There would be no sense of urgency for when it needed to change by. Is that how the work world works? Yeah. You see the problem? And this is a big debate in the therapy world, you know, where accountability is. Um, every therapist is different. Some therapists will not push people very hard and uh, I heard one, one great therapist say, well, I, you know, I, I let them change on their own timing. And if they're not changing in a way that um, satisfies them, well, then eventually they'll fire me, she said. And that's fine. That's her style. She basically meets people's hunger where she's at. I don't do that. I'm not a therapist. I mean, I have a lot of those skills and I've, I've learned a lot of that stuff. But... Um, I don't take people's money when their actions show they're not interested in change. And, and I've, I've had many experiences where it's become quite evident that people are not interested in change. They're, but they're getting something out of talking about change. And that's just not my style. And, uh, it's personally boring for me. So uh, I advocate for that need, and it just doesn't—it doesn't work for me. I'm not saying that some people need that infinite kind of open-ended amount of time and the absence of any kind of pressure to be able to shift. I get that. Some people need that, and I'm, I don't want to serve them, and then they're not—they're not well served by me. However, in the work world, I would assert that the rules are different. In no cases in the work world does someone have an infinite amount of time to stop shame from affecting their behavior when it's affecting work results in a significant way. Therein lies the rub, right? Because it's easy to point to where an individual, where an individual's inability to turn squarely toward their weaknesses is affecting their competence. So what do you do? Hold them accountable to doing their emotional homework? Because that's where it's coming from. That's a really tricky thing. Mostly what you can do as a manager is just hold up the mirror and say, hey, 
you've got some weaknesses here and you're not really taking responsibility for them. There's only so much I can do here in the work world. I would invite you to explore personal options for dealing with it because it's probably showing up elsewhere in your life. And then they do what they do. And again, remember the the rule of thumb for personal issues. It, it, It has to be affecting the person's job performance for it to be any of your business. I'm wondering what you've seen through all the clients you work with in your own experiences. What's the rate of people who actually make those changes when they're presented this? What's a guess? Of the, from the general population? Yeah. You know, the people I work with is already a smaller sample size. So those are people who already are a subset of people who say they want to change something. So in my experience, that's like, I don't know, five, 600 people over 15 years, decent sample size. Um, as far as stats go, usually you want something like 1500, but, um, of the people who say they want to change that I've worked with, I would say a third of them actually do. Mm. And that's generous. And this is an important thing to, 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 to really start with. And it's a good question for anyone to ask. Do you actually want to change? Do you actually want to change something? Or are you just subscribing to the idea that it's a good idea? And the, the place to look is in your actions. Actions speak louder than words. You know, when I've been in some tight spaces with clients in the past, what I've often invited them to do when, when I'm giving them things to do and they're not doing them and, you know, small, easy, simple things and they're just resisting, resisting, resisting. Embrace the part of you that doesn't want to change. We've all got it. You're the conscious aspect of you could be really interested in change and improvement and really interested in turning toward your weaknesses. All of that can be there. And in one corner of you, the complete opposite can coexist. That has a really different picture of reality. I told you guys the story of totaling my car and the whole truck thing, right? Yeah. My delays in getting that truck was total change resistance. Just didn't want to deal with it. Too busy. Don't have time. I'll wait. I was putting it off. I'm one of the best non-procrastinators you'll ever meet. But I was procrastinating that. Right? So again, because I hold it as a verb, right? It's not a matter of whether or not you're procrastinating for most people. You are. It's just a matter of where and how and how are you relating to it. You see, if you relate to resistance as a verb, that, that contraction as a verb, it's a dynamic, not a thing. If you relate to it as a thing, then you'll either have to try to get rid of it or be in denial of it, you know, because it's that thing. You're not supposed to have that thing. That thing is is a problem. What thing? There's no thing here. I don't have that. Who's being defensive? You're being defensive. Right? But you're you're only as uh, 
don't take this the wrong way because of the, you know, that you're only as good as your last sale. You're, you're only as clear as the current moment. You know, that's the beauty of the contraction thing. You can come out of it in a moment and you can go right back into it in a moment. Same with overwhelm, right? You can be unchronically overwhelmed and have an empty inbox and a clean desk for three months and then something can happen and boom, it's all right back where you were three, three months ago. Bad news, it's not an attainment. It's not like a tattoo. You don't, you're not crowned. Congratulations, you are now king or queen of non-overwhelm. You will never be overwhelmed again. Congratulations, your, your name is going to go on a monument in Washington, D.C. among those who have forever conquered overwhelm. It's a dynamic. It's not a thing. That's the bad news. The good news is, in the next moment, you can get out of it. Right? That's the cool part of it. And then every time you get out of it, there's a way in which the, the rubber band never goes back all the way. You never really go all the way back because you, you remember. You've all had this experience. You get really unoverwhelmed and then you, you start to really like it. And then your threshold, you probably have found for overwhelm, gets uh, sort of lower and lower where you're like, well, there's six emails in my box. This is unacceptable. Or it used to have 6,000 and it was fine, right? You could look at that as a bad thing too because it gets to be kind of, a, your standards get really high. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.